It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Jason Breifel, here today with a panel of experts to discuss the president's management agenda that was uh, unveiled this week uh, at an event out in Kansas City. Um, over the phone, I'm happy to be joined by Chris Cairns, the managing partner of Skylight. And in the studio, we're joined by Dan Chenuck, executive director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government, Dave Mader, chief strategy officer for civilian sector of the Deloitte Consulting, uh, in the federal government practice, and Pete Zaronis, the founder and CEO of Dots and Bridges. Uh, thank you all for being here with me today. Great. Thank Good you, to be Jason. Here. Thanks, Jason. Yep. And uh, before we dive into the president's management agenda, what it is, uh, some of the main focus areas, I thought it might be helpful just for our listeners, for briefly for each of you, just to provide a little bit about uh, your background and the perspective that you're bringing to our program today. You've each had a uh, uh, roles in government and different levels um, and, and different tenures, but I think provide an interesting mix of perspective on on the topics that we'll be talking uh, about today. Um, and uh, Chris, I'd like uh, you to kick us off, please. Yeah, hi, sure. So, yeah, I'll just advance to my most recent history. In 2013, I was part of the Presidential Innovation Fellows uh, Program, and that went on to um, uh, went on to be one of the co-founders of 18F. So, was in you know government a few years. I'd say really at sort of the center of the whole digital services movement that's going on and I think clearly has, you know, helped inform some of what's, you know, in the president's management agenda. So uh, currently, um, like you said, I'm um, managing partner at Skylight and just trying to continue to carry the, the digital movement from the uh, from the outside. Thanks so much, uh, Chris, and, and uh, appreciate you uh, dialing us in and joining us today. Uh, let's go down the line in the studio next. Uh, Dave. Thanks, uh, Jason. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Dave Mader, as Jason mentioned, I am currently with uh, Deloitte. Uh, prior to that, spent uh, two and a half years in the Obama administration as the uh, OMB controller. Prior to that, had been in uh, the private sector for 10 years, and before that, actually 30-plus years as a career executive in the IRS. And, you know, I think between my private sector experience, between my government career experience, and my uh, political um, appointee experience. It gives me, a, I think, a good perspective of where we've come over these last couple decades and what the future uh, holds for us. Thanks, Dave. Dan? Thanks, Jason, and I'm glad to be here with uh, with you and with this great panel. And I, I share Dave's sort of ghost of Christmas past, ghost of Christmas present uh, story, um, having been at OMB for many years, where I was the head of IT policy and budget for the last five years, uh, of that time, which is now the portfolio carried by the Office of the Federal Chief Information Officer. Um, so I served um, to help get that, that office started and also worked on the president's management agenda, especially the IT portion, uh, in the Bush administration in the first term uh, before I left. Um, also worked on the presidential transition team for OMB and for management issues for President Obama in 2008. 
And as you mentioned earlier, now run the Center for the Business of Government, which is a think tank that IBM has that produces content written largely by academics. Um, on various issues of interest to government. Just last week, we put out a report on IT modernization, um, very timely uh, work by Professor Greg Doss at Arizona State. So happy to be here. Great. Thanks, Dan. Pete? Yes, uh, it's uh, great to be here with my colleagues and uh, seeing some old friends. Um, I, uh, I had a wonderful journey during my 25-year career. Uh, I like to tell the story that while I hung a shingle and have for the last two and a half years, with dots and bridges, I was fortunate to experience a four administration journey of technology from the early 90s up through 2015. And during that time, uh, working across the DOD, the Department of Education, and then the last eight years of the Department of Energy, very diverse agencies, large, small, and with unique missions. So today I, I'm looking forward to this discussion. Uh, at the outset, the president's management agenda looks and feels a lot like what I've seen in my 25 years with a few uh, changes, but, but the mission is the same, and that's to accept compliance as, as fine or really do the hard work at the uh, rank and file and leadership level to drive innovation. Great. Well, thank you all. I think that helps provide some context about your, your background and experience. And before we, we dive in uh, to talk about the PMA, just for folks who aren't aware of some of the main uh, features and focus areas, uh, the president's management agenda lays out a long-term vision for modernizing the federal government, focusing on key areas, um, uh, the ability to deliver mission outcomes, provide excellent customer service, and effectively steward taxpayer dollars. Um, and the, the President's Management Agenda looks at three buckets, and we're going to talk about these three buckets uh, today uh, to achieve these objectives, um, which I think as a taxpayer are really important um, and good objectives. Uh, one is modernizing information technology. The other is data accountability and transparency. Um, and the last is a, a modern workforce. Um, and so what we'll do throughout the program is, is look at each of these, and, and we'll dive in first by um, – looking at the uh, elements of the agenda that, that focus on uh, modern information technology. And uh, maybe we'll start you, with you, Chris. And uh, what are your thoughts on, on what you're seeing in, in the president's management agenda uh, around the IT modernization uh, elements? Yeah, well, I, I clearly think um, that it reflects uh, the administration's strong view that, you know, technology is you know, becoming more and more the mission of government, right? And I think it clearly recognizes you know, a lot of the a lot of underlying issues behind government's poor performance in that area and really does a good job of recognizing the interconnectedness, I would say, between those issues. And I think, um, you know, really, really does a nice job of, you know, laying out appropriate self-reinforcing solutions to those, those issues, you know. I mean, for example, you know, you can't have more modern tech delivery without having, you know, a more modern workforce. So I was really encouraged to see a strong focus on, you know, the talent piece, right? And I'd be interested to hear from some of my colleagues, you know, based on their, their experience with the, you know, previous PMAs, you know, if there was, you know, to, to the degree that this PMA, you know, has a focus, you know, on talent, was that also reflected, you know, in the previous one? So I was pretty encouraged by that. I think that, you know, that's a, a lot of the root cause issues behind, you know, government uh, technology performances. You know, lack of, um, you know, I would say lack of, uh, you know, talent density in the digital area. And then to even go beyond that, right, I think it extends to supplier base as well, right? So, I mean, I think the supplier base, you know, needs to be rewired as well. Um, can government so highly reliant, you know, on the contracting workforce and vendors for its technology delivery? 
Great. Thanks, Chris. Uh, who wants so, to jump in next? Yeah, I would say that um, Chris's observation is, is very well taken. And one of the differences of the management agenda that was just released and that we're now um, sort of thinking about how to move forward on is the interrelationship. So in prior management agendas, there were often sort of the IT lane and the workforce lane and the um, grants lane or whatever other lanes were, were laid out, financial management. Um, and although there were kind of episodic connections, if you look at the comprehensive way that this management agenda fits together and how the OMB Deputy for Management, Margaret Weikert, kind of spoke about it in the, in the rollout in Kansas City, each of those elements are dependent on one another. And, and they use this graphic of sort of gears working together to deliver results in the mission area, in the service area, and in the stewardship arena. Um, the other thing that I'd noticed just on the IT piece is the comprehensive nature of how they're building on the Man Modernizing Government Technology Act and the legislation and the technology management fund and sort of using the implementation of that statute to help you know, drive forward momentum um, in things like cloud adoption, you know, legacy modernization, um, uh, delivery of digital services. So they're, they're using statutory imperatives, funding incentives to drive forward these goals in a, in a way that try, drives sort of a comprehensive governance strategy. I, I think that building on what Chris and Dan just said, when you sort of think about the business of government and you think about business in the private sector, clearly over the last 25 years, those businesses are driven now by technology, which you know is developing and continues to evolve um, at literally at, at hyperspeed. And when you think about technology, you think about you know who is going to actually design, implement, and manage that. And when you think about you know government services, that's the people, and that's where to to Chris and Dan's point is you can't separate what we're trying to do by driving the government business through technology without addressing the people aspect. How do you how do you identify, how do you recruit, how do you retain, how do you advance people um, within the federal government? And recognizing, you know, when I started in the government many, many, many decades ago, people stayed for life. They stayed for 35 years. We're in a different world. We're in a different generation. We need to have a federal personnel system that actually is reflective of our business and of our demographics. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting topic. My perspective, uh, just hearing what my colleagues have mentioned, I think the opportunities via legislation and mandate uh, are there for the taking. Uh, I, I had a lot to do with my agency's technology road mapping. When uh, technology, I think back in the day and even today, is, is always seen as the enabler. The phrase, it's not the tech that we need to worry about. It's the implementation of that tech. Is the workforce the right workforce? And that includes integrators as much as it does the federal rank and file staff. So I was drawn to the PMA and this, I think it's important that of the three legs of the stool, this workforce for the 21st century, which is basically uh, uh destroy the concept of Moore's law. And as much as technology is advancing is what are we doing to keep that workforce focused, doing tech diligence? So I would say in the federal sector, uh, those federal employees in the public sector side of the house, as well as on the private sector side of the house, and then I have to think in threes, the consumer sector, how does this impact citizen services? Are we doing enough and going to use this opportunity, which is a placemat of opportunity? It doesn't prescriptively say what to do. But whether it's the MGT or the Tech Modernization Fund, who in the federal government, talking to the federal employees now, are going to say, I'm incentivized to make a difference. I'm incentivized for my mission, which is 
taxpayer dollars at work. I like Cap Goal 14, which talks a lot about federally funded tech from lab to market. There's $150 billion a year. In addition to the $90 billion we hear about coming out of OMB, about keeping the lights on type of legacy that is unfortunately not enough DME. So I would challenge every federal agency and those involved with technology, technology procurement and leadership, whether you're political, you're civilian civil service, to say, what are you going to do to use this opportunity with the PMA to make your mission to the American public innovative? And again, as we said earlier, less about compliance. I also think, um, Jason, when you look at the, the actual PMA and then you move into the cap goals, the 14 cap goals, um, I think there's an acknowledgement there, a very explicit acknowledgement of the role that the private sector uh, has played and will continue to play as we look to modernize the government. And I, you know, I mean, we all, everybody on this panel has had an opportunity to work both in the government and in the private sector. And I think, you know, when I look back on my career, it's, you know, our, our government services are basically being delivered and have been for multiple administrations now through public-private partnerships. So, you know, sort of bringing the best thinking of the private sector into how you actually operationalize that in the government, I think, is going to be key to the successes that the administration is looking for. Great. That's a that's a really some really excellent points. Uh, we're going to take our first break here, but when we come back, we'll pick up on the opportunity that the president's management agenda presents, as well as how government and, and industry and others in this space can work together to uh, achieve the vision that the president and his team laid out. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're talking about the president's management agenda. And before the break, uh, we're talking about how this agenda presents an opportunity, uh, both for federal civil servants, uh, as well as those um, uh, working in and around the space. And given that we have a, a panel of uh, former civil servants who are now all, all working in industry, there was, a, there was an interesting conversation emerging about how how uh, to make the most of this partnership, and uh, we were talking about the uh, the IT agenda, um, and and I think that we can continue that conversation. But there's also a focus in the president's management agenda around uh, data accountability and transparency, um, and I think that they're linked. And and I'm interested in in how you all see this linkage, and maybe are there any. Uh, best practices, advice, insights that uh, you all may bring as uh, federal leaders are looking to uh, implement uh, around these areas. Uh, let's start with you, Pete. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I love this part of the program because at the end of the day, the data, the mission data, the information that is produced, created, curated, if you will, 
A lot of that happens in the private sector. We touched base about the government's mission is to do what it does for each of the agencies, create information and data that is relevant to the consumer and the citizen, and then what are we doing with it? So I look at the government, the agencies, as stewards of pushing out whatever money, information is needed uh, to produce that data. I like to think of the healthy tension between the regulatory role, uh, the legislative role of government, and then those owners and operators of those sectors that impact us as consumers. There's 16 defined by DHS. They're pretty common. Energy, transportation, water, wastewater, uh, defense industrial base. That relates to every agency and the data that's produced, using an example where I came from in the energy sector, uh, volumes and volumes of data in milliseconds are created every day. That's the type of data that we're looking at, I would hope, as a federal government and saying, where's it being created? How can we aggregate it? How can we make sense of that, turn it into information and have that transparency while securing it, information sharing and safeguarding? And for me, it's a triage of critical infrastructure sectors using advanced analytics, machine intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, whatever you want to call it, to make sense of that data. The federal agencies aren't necessarily creating that data. You can collect cell phones till the cows come home and look at how many servers you have and close data centers. That's important. That's data. But citizen data, data that's impacting the water we drink, the cars we drive, the planes we fly in, that's on the public, that's on the private sector side. So this is that partnership opportunity of having transparency, not just driven by the federal government, but by private sector, and doing some really innovative work to dashboard it, present it, give it that pane of glass that we as a country can drive innovation with. One of the other things, in addition to the points that Pete's made that sets this management agenda a little bit apart in terms of its progress, building on past management agendas, is the focus on a data strategy. Um, we've had data strategies in government before, but they haven't really been a a focused um, element of a, as a key priority for a presidential level management agenda like we're, we're seeing here. And this also brings into play a lot of the emerging technologies that bring new um, innovation into government in the form of accessing data, things like artificial intelligence and blockchain and the other technologies that you're, you're reading about, the government's just getting to sort of learn the advances that the private sector is making. And ties back to the point that we were talking about earlier around how do you leverage that private sector innovation through, and there are a couple of elements in the cross agency priority goals, the cap goals that Dave mentioned earlier, that focus on acquisition reform and introducing agility into the acquisition process. I think that builds on progress made um, by Chris and his, and his colleagues in the previous administration looking at agile acquisition as part of the GSA 18F program, the US Digital Service, which is prominently featured in the current management agenda. So this sort of all fits together as to how do you use these levers of incentive to bring in private sector innovation and improve the data posture of government. I think the um, the intersection of data with technology is is key to the customer experience, the citizen experience that, that uh, Pete has touched on. And one of the cap goals deals with grants. And, and what's interesting is if you look at grant recipients for research, medical research, whatever, technology research, you have to ask yourself, how many times does that organization, that, that academic institution or, or not-for-profit, have to provide the government with the same information time and time and time again? And when you look at the cap goal for grants, it actually addresses, I think, both of those dimensions. How does the government improve its efficiency, but how does it make it easier for recipients of grants to do business with the government. And there's you know, numerous other examples as citizens that we're providing 
similar or the same information to multiple government entities time and time again? And is there a way to actually harmonize that through the use of technology with the right safeguards and manage that data across the enterprise? Great. Thank you. Uh, I want to get Chris in here because I think there's probably a couple uh, topics that were that were mentioned that, that you, you probably have something to, to add for us. Yeah, I mean, I'll say I, I just love, um, you know, the fact that the government's continuing to push this I would say this idea of government as a platform, right, by taking, you know, these public assets, right, and this data and then making them open and accessible to the public, right, just has created so many opportunities to drive new forms of, you know, economic value creation, right? I mean, there's, you know, lots of case studies around, you know, startups, you know, using government data to uh, create meaningful businesses in a lot of cases with sort of a civic orientation, right? So this you know, this idea of, you know, government, you know, not sort of being this mover for civic action, but, um, you know, rather being an enabler and kind of a convener of that. So uh, I'm pretty excited about, you know, that to continue to push that, that theme forward. Thanks. I just wanted to riff again off of uh, the topic that, that Dave mentioned, too, that the cap goals uh, 8 and 14 are really, really compelling. Um, when you think about lab to market and improving this transfer of technology that is funded and generated in partnership with government and industry through grants in many cases, which are that academic pull at the Department of Energy. We work significantly with our national laboratory ecosystem, not DOE labs, national laboratories. And that's where some of this amazing magic through funding and whether we improve that happens and whether we improve the grants process uh, I think that's significant. I think technology to enable that exchange of data so that we can discover cures to cancer at NIH faster, build a safe autonomous vehicle fleet, uh, manage uh, access on airplanes to make sure through biometrics that, that bad people aren't getting on planes. That type of infrastructure and grant funding that goes into that mission of government in partnership with industry will serve the taxpayer. And that's those are just two cap goals. If you've read through the PMA, those listeners out there, uh, looking at cap goals uh, really, to me, define beyond the pillars of what the PMA stands for, its mission, service, stewardship. That's important. Don't get me wrong. I'm not glossing over it. But when you look at the cap goals and the priorities of mission of government, that's, to me, where you see the meat on the bone. In fact, if you look at the cap goals on the performance.gov website, there's a level of detail underneath sort of the broad president's management agenda that's very instructive mm -hmm. um, for each of the goals and really gets into some interesting sort of metrics and schedules and milestones that agencies are working toward. And each of the three main pillars, they're the first three cap goals. So it kind of all fits together. They provide the foundation for the other 10 or so uh, goals to go forward. So in the data area, it talks about how governance across agencies can move forward, how agencies can leverage uh, the private sector more effectively through things like the Commerce Department's Opportunity Project, which uh, promotes tools that the private sector can kind of digitize off of working with government to uh, add value to the economy. So lots of different interactions. You know, one thing I noticed is, you know, they make pretty heavy use of key performance indicators to, to measure performance. I, you know, I'm curious, you know, you all have a lot more experience probably with, with previous uh, PMAs. Did you did you see a set of metrics defined um, in those like they have in this one? In my my exposure has been they seem to be you know the previous ones that were like milestone based. You know. So um, I was involved in leading co-leading uh, with the GSA administrator to the cap goals in the previous administration. One around benchmarking, the other around yeah. 
uh, shared services. And looking at, at this set of 14, these actually have a lot more detail with regard to who's assigned responsibility and implementation responsibilities with milestones to Dan's point um, and, and performance metrics. So I, you know, my sense is they've taken what we had done with the cap goals to that next level of granularity. And I think it will help drive what Margaret has talked about is, you know, getting her done, getting those short-term wins, but also setting sort of the platform for the longer-term initiatives that need to flow from these. I think this builds on lessons learned from past management agendas. There were strong metrics in the in the Bush management agenda, for example, the Bush administration's uh, agenda that were tied to the major pillars like IT, financial management, human capital reform, um, acquisition reform, and the agencies were held accountable to that. So the, some of the interesting sort of process reforms that happen in the past management agendas, the current administration is building off of. And just a quick note, uh, yes, I believe this too is every administration is trying to advance and 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 maybe create a much more compelling president's management agenda each time it's uh, unveiled. I would just add that if I'm an agency out there and with the MGT Act and the Tech Modernization Fund, when everything's running and, and the money's there, what an opportunity if I'm an agency to use these cap goals uh, to, to be that lever, that springboard to go get some of that money and to make a difference versus meeting some dashboard to say, we're doing our best. We're going to try to improve our infrastructure and move to the cloud. Pick a mission in your agency. If you're an IT person in a CIO office, go out, knock on a few doors in your agencies and say, how can data improve your mission? If it's the USDA, it's the farmers and other places. And, and package that in your proposal to OMB when you're going after some of that funding. I think that's a that's a really important point, and we'll we'll continue pulling on that uh, after our next uh, break, uh, and we'll continue the discussion after our word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, we're featuring a discussion about the president's management agenda. And I am joined in the studio with Chris Cairns, uh, or rather via phone, Chris Cairns, managing partner at Skylight. Uh, and in the studio, Dan Chenuk, the executive director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government, Dave Mater, chief strategy office for the civilian sector with Deloitte Consulting, and Pete Saronis, the founder and CEO of Dotson Bridges. 
Um, prior to the break, uh, we were talking about uh, the evolution of, of president management agendas over time um, in some uh, sense among the group that uh, are continuing to refine and focus while also integrating efforts uh, across the government uh, to drive this. And, and one of the things that we were talking about is uh, accountability structures that are, that are built into uh, the president's management agenda for agencies as they try to drive these changes forward. And I, I'm curious about the the perspective of the group around uh, what I think is an inherent tension in government between kind of compliance and doing the job that agencies and managers, executives understand that Congress or regulations have, have boxed them into well, at the same time, you have this mandate to drive change, be innovative. Um, and, and underneath of this are these cross-agency priority goals and agency priority goals. But sometimes in government, uh, the linkage between the individual federal employee, their team, and their program, if they're not mentioned in some of those goals, in the overarching organizational government-wide strategy might not be there. So as agencies think about getting uh, all of their employees bought into the opportunity that's being presented uh, by the president's management agenda, uh, curious about your thoughts of, of helping individual federal employees or their leaders uh, finding themselves in the relevant or applicable goal or initiative, uh, yeah. uh, et cetera. Um, yeah, I'll just jump in. Um, you know, f f again, I, I started as a GS-7, and I remember feeling that uh, feeling of one day I wanted to be a GS-15. And boy, man, wouldn't it be great to be an SES one day. And 25 years later, I could say I achieved those goals personal. But along the way, I always, and I say this to every federal employee out there, if you're looking to make a difference and you need to be incentivized by your boss or by a legislation or a mandate, well, um, then, then I, I think you're selling yourself short. This is the opportunity for the civil servant to not take an agenda or their boss's boss's boss priority and to make a case. Incentivize your leadership and be the leader of that project around something that at the mission level is, is that matters to you, whether you're running the data center, whether you're collecting data from a, an entity and an organization that isn't in the CIO office. This is not an IT agenda. This is a mission enabling through IT with the data that we have in some transparent manner opportunity to 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 raise your profile. So we, we, we're moving into this workforce next generation. I say to the federal employees who've been there for many years, if compliance is good enough for you, then 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 accept what compliance will bring you in terms of your career. And that might be what motivates you. But if you're young and we're trying to bring people into government, say, here's a platform and a landscape to go make some things happen that affect the the country then use this PMA and bring the ideas to your leadership. Yeah, there's right. always an interesting uh, dichotomy in terms of management and mission. And I'm reminded of the proverbial story of the NASA cleaning crew that when they were asked what they did for the agency, they said, well, we put the man on the moon um, because they could see their part in the agency's mission. And I think this management agenda you know, starts with mission at the top. And as Pete said, you know, try, drawing a line from the unit level uh, that you are working in, your office, and, and the industry partners who are supporting that office, drawing a line from that to the achievement of mission 
is is something that the agenda promotes. It's something that has, when past management agendas have made a real difference, you've seen that connection as well. So I think that there's promise to sort of learn from those lessons and move forward. I think Pete, in his earlier comment, made a good point with regard to take those 14 cap goals and look at your, you know, whether you're in IT or finance or whatever and say, the work that I'm doing today, does that actually support the future? Because those 14 cap goals really represent sort of the future vision of where we want to go as a government. Absolutely. So, you know, ask yourself, should I continue to do the current work the way I'm doing it? Or should I pivot and start thinking about, you know, can I leverage the MGT Act? Can I leverage shared services? Can I leverage some other approach that actually supports the cap goals and moves my organization forward? I just want to riff again off what Dave and, and, and Dan said. This is a opportunity for the federal employee. Politicals come, politicals go. Folks come in, administrations change. A lot of those people who are out there listening, who are, are, are watching the tea leaves, this is your opportunity. This is what it's about. They're not being prescriptive. They're saying you must be doing something awfully special, whether it's taking out the trash or collecting project management metrics or reporting upstream. My experience by the time I was a boss, a supervisor, a leader was I pined for my staff to bring ideas that I could say that's a great one versus, and I say this to the integrator community too, don't be so prescriptive and say, what is it you want us to do? Bring the ideas to your leadership. Use this PMA federal employees as your opportunity to shine and be a pioneer. Chris, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I love this sort of interpretation that this is a call for action, you know, and that, and, you know, every day it's just like you walk into the office, right, asking yourself, you know, what are you doing to move these 14 goals forward, right, and how, how is what I'm doing online, and if it doesn't, right, how do I get folks on board? So I think that's actually pretty inspiring. Well, I'm I'm curious, Chris, about your your experience at at 18F. You know, there's there's a data point that six percent of the federal workforce is now of the millennial generation. But you used some creative hiring authorities and strategies to bring in talent um, to serve stints in government, not necessarily full careers. And and I think that. Uh, not in the president's management agenda, but in the budget that came out in February, there's some discussion around, you know, a 30-year career isn't exactly what folks are looking for or should be expected these days, but but maybe a few years of serving your country um, and maybe coming in and out more frequently uh, might become the norm. And uh, how do you see that and, and your, your experience uh, at 18F fit into all of this? Yeah, yeah, I've heard this kind of it coined as is is uh, people flow, right? This idea that you know you're you're bringing in people from you know different parts of the government or the private sector, you know, to work on you know different high priority projects, right? And sort of you know cross pollinate, right? Um, skills and knowledge. So I think that you know what we've seen with 18F and the Presidential English Fellows Program in the U.S. Digital Service is that. You know, this, you know, same Silicon Valley, right? If you win the, the battle for talent, you win the war. And I think that, um, you know, government in a lot of cases has, um, you know, a recruiting draw that other companies, you know, who could potentially offer, you know, more competitive, you know, compensation packages or whatever um, has, and that is, you know, mission and impact. And I think that, you know, those programs are just proof points that, you can draw, you know, great people from inside and outside of government to, to coalesce, right, and, and focus on, 
you know, moving the mission forward in creative and, I'd say, you know, modern ways. So I think that, you know, looking through the plan, I think that the administration recognizes um, that um, that development over the past few years is going to double down on that. Great. And I, and I have a follow-up for you. As I'm reading through your, your bio here, something that caught my eye is uh, – uh, the Digital Service Coalition um, that you're involved in. It's described as a self-organizing community of non-traditional vendors dedicated to propelling, propelling government's digital transformation forward. And and I'd imagine that some of the other uh, participants in that are, are folks like yourself who had served in government and, and still have an interest in contributing to mission from from the outside. And, and I'm curious kind of how that fits into this conversation that we've been having today. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, yeah, there, absolutely, there is, it is a group of companies, um, you know, some who are part of those companies, you know, like myself, you know, had done a tour at in the U.S. Digital Service or, you know, 18S and, you know, now trying to you know, make their own thing happen, um, you know, in the private sector. But I would say that I think the whole digital services movement, right, led by, you know, U.S. Digital Services and, um, has really inspired a lot of companies who – I would say sort of represent, you know, like the U.S. Digital Services playbook in terms of how they think and how they work, right? I think they really saw that as an invitation to come in and work with the government where they previously, you know, didn't feel like they were invited. And, you know, I'm really surprised to see since I've been out because, you know, government contracting is so much of a teaming sport, how many of these companies are out there that sort of, I would say, are in line with the spirit of like, you know, a United States, you know, Digital Service or 18F. And, you know, it's um, the, you know, there's obviously it's tough. The, bar- the barriers are very high in breaking into the government. And the, these community of companies are, are really civic-oriented and, um, you know, really want to move government forward and, and doing whatever they can to help each other out, um, you know, like build awareness of their capabilities, uh, team on different contracts. And that's just generally, you know, work together in sort of very altruistic ways to keep this movement going because, um, you know, this is these, these missions are too important to fail, right? We need to do whatever we can, right, as a community um, to ensure that the government's delivering tech in, you know, better and smarter ways. You know, Jason, uh, Chris touched on something that, that I, I think we need to address uh, before we run out of time, and that's the um, public service of the future. Um in, in my two and a half years at OMB, I was, uh, I was there to watch the creation of, of both of the organizations that, that Chris worked in, but as importantly, actually saw the next generation of public servants coming in across government. Now, the problem was we didn't have enough of them. And I think, you know, in the president's management agenda, there's a pillar and there are cap goals that deal with the workforce of the future. Having been, you know, a long-term career employee, you know, it's been 40 years since we've addressed civil service reform, and I think it's time now if we really want to actually provide the kind of service to our citizens and attract the talent that we address those issues that are inhibitors to bringing people in not for 30-year careers but for two- or three-year stints. And, you know, maybe they go back to the private sector, they go to a not-for-profit, and maybe 10 years after that, they come back in a more senior position in government. And I think that when we think about modernizing the government, to me, that is probably the most important of the pillars. 
Well, it's a perfect segue, Dave, because I wanted to get to the workforce uh, component of the PMA uh, in our last segment. We're going to pause here for a word for our sponsor, and then we'll return to our conversation about the president's management agenda. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We're entering the last segment of our show, having a great discussion today about the president's management agenda. Prior to our last break, we started getting into the conversation about um, the federal workforce of today and, and looking toward the future. And, and uh, Dave Mater made the, the, the observation that, you know, it's been now 40 years since the Civil Service Reform Act of 1978. And uh, there appears to be some, some renewed focus on looking systemically at uh, the personnel system that we have in the government and how it's uh, an enabler for the government to drive modernization in IT tech. And ultimately, the way the government can uh, um, deliver service and value uh, for American taxpayers uh, out there. And uh, so, um, Pete, before the break, uh, you wanted to jump in. So we're going to go back to you uh, with uh, your, your thoughts on this topic. Sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was I was itching to jump in there. I had, a, as I call them, a light bulb moment when Dave and both uh, both Dave and Dan were talking. Those who have never worked in the government, it's easy to take pot shots at the government. I would challenge anyone to work at least in the government for a short term to understand you either get the itch and the opportunity or it's not your bag. I get it. I spent 25 years. I obviously enjoyed it to some extent. Um, It wasn't about the money, clearly. And more importantly, I know that seems to be a bone of contention. It talks about workforce development, but also compensation. Hey, it is what it is. But you have an opportunity in the federal government. And that's what I know this agenda is trying to do is attract people. But I just wanted to make a point to this discussion uh, around the buying and selling. This this agenda is a lot about reform in IT and modernization in dollars. And uh, there seems to be an acceptable 18 to 24 month uh, on-ramp to, to connect and collaborate with the federal government from an industry perspective. I've been out two and a half years. I hear things that that, that I didn't hear when I was a Fed. Uh, I was that guy that people wanted to come talk to and sell to, and I opened my door. Uh, But there was a lot of machination involved from procurement to uh, uh, contracts to integrators, uh, and and there was a lot of innovation stifling, in my view, that that had nothing to do with the tool. So I would just say with this agenda that that I charge the federal government industry, and I think on industry's behalf now, uh, it's hard to talk to feds. From a true blue sky, here's what my tool does, without feeling like there's a lot of noise in between, which again causes that delay. And by the time you procure the product, it's yesterday's product. So there's a problem in staying modernized versus coming up with a plan and going after some money. And by the time you get it, are you using the most state-of-the-art? So there's there's something here that that won't get fixed in a day, but... but uh, uh, how to sell to Uncle Sam and how to buy from industry is something that that I think is uh, needs to be fixed yesterday. 
So, uh, and one of the parts of the management agenda that builds on work in the previous administration is also the acquisition workforce and upskilling there in terms of technology proficiency, their ability to understand and have the kinds of conversations like Pete was ha uh, talking about. And it also sort of is a larger workforce point about the workforce pillar of the management agenda, which is when you think about company modernization, a key part of their strategy is upskilling, retraining, um, thinking about how their workforce moves forward with technology to service whatever mission they are, whether they're a consumer-facing company or an enterprise company or a government enterprise. And so learning from that experience how to build these, these skill development programs, how to hire quickly when you need to, how to team to get the right talent, those are all tools that, that leading companies have done that government is moving forward on. They've uh, been making progress, and hopefully this management agenda will take that to the next level. You know, one thing, it's I was having a conversation just the other day with a, an agency procurement executive, and one of the challenges that this individual is facing is that given the competition in this space, the varying ability of agencies as well as organizations on the outside to offer different forms of both compensation but also kind of employment packages that, that help folks, it's hard to keep and build talent um, inside your organization because your good folks are constantly leaving. And, and on one hand, being an organization where your folks are getting picked up says that you're doing a good job developing them. But at the same time, it creates this constant churn of a challenge for government to keep good folks on the inside. Um, and and I'm, I'm curious about thoughts of, of, of how to address that when, uh, you know, the government continues to um, have some trouble bringing in the next generation of workers, even if it isn't for a full career. If I can comment, this is Pete, if I can comment on being a technologist, I, I, 25 years was a good run. 18 of those years, I was a techie. I worked in the CIO office and I learned ping power and pipe. And I was so busy doing that. And I speak to those of you who are in CIO offices, Klinger Cohen life, uh, if we want to retain people, I think like they do with the I-Corps programs, entrepreneurs and residents, uh, let people in the technology CIO community, which is a big part of this agenda, engage with mission. Force the issue to put someone who's a technologist in procurement. Not, not as a, hey, go spend some time, but teach and learn that perspective. And I think as a technologist, because everybody in government has their own version of a quote-unquote CIO in their mission entity. There are 30 boxes at the Department of Energy alone on the org chart thereabouts that while there's a CIO entity, there's a lot of folks in those, fo in those uh, boxes that are technology folks and they know the mission. So there's a competing sometimes that's unfair and it puts the CIO community or the technologists at a disservice that you don't know my mission. So don't come in here pounding Fatara and say, this is what we need to do. And I don't believe that's what the CIO community tries to do. So I think a cross-pollination and an opportunity exists in here to force the issue of let's get some of these procurement technologists, these data center technologists, these mission folks who use the data but don't know how it aggregates, but probably have some pretty good ideas on how to build some custom app or, or open source solution. But that takes people being pushed or even forced into collaborating. And that's easier said than done. You know, one of the... Um most innovative ideas I've heard in the last couple of weeks actually is from Congressman Will Hurd, who you know successfully shepherded the MGT Act to uh, to funding. Um, 
hopefully when the president signs the bill today, he now has a concept because he's equally concerned around cyber, cybersecurity, and, you know, can the federal government actually attract and retain cyber talent that it needs to protect our, you know, IT systems and our data, recognizing that there's a huge demand against a, a small supply. He now is is talking about this concept of, well, maybe we should create this idea of a cyber reserve force based on sort of military, right? Could the government pay for individuals' education? And in return, they can go to the private sector when they graduate, but they have a responsibility back to the public sector to do, you know, two weeks or a month of service back into agencies. And I think that would, I think to Pete's point, allow for this constant transfer of knowledge between the private sector and the public sector and allow people to enjoy sort of both aspects of professional life, both in the public sector, but also in the private sector. Yeah, those kinds of programs, programs that exchanges between industry and government where where you set up sort of six-month rotations. Um, The Army has something called training with industries where they send their folks into the private sector for a period of time. All of those things are ways to get talent in. The, The other thing I'd say to your question earlier, Jason, is it's also about sort of the future of work itself. As we move to an as-a-service type approach, there's a different skill level in a mission organization who's trying to leverage capability, who doesn't necessarily need to own the expertise in that capability, but they need to know how to integrate that expertise to achieve the mission. They don't have to own all of the technology stack. They might outsource um, or or purchase in different ways uh, the delivery of that technology, and they can focus on how that fits into their mission, whether it's healthcare, transportation, education, or environmental protection. So it's really giving the government employees who are there to, because they're in their agencies, because they believe strongly that their agency is performing a, a service or a mission that's important to the country, to really focus on that and not so much have to focus on the details of the capability. Great. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. And I want to bring Chris in for uh, a response or, or a reaction to what you yeah, just yeah. heard. And also kind of if you have any uh, final thoughts before we do a one last run through the panel. Yeah, just two quick thoughts. I mean, that's how I got my exposure to government was uh, through a, a Department of Defense program called National Security Education Program. So, uh, you know, received a scholarship, do a study abroad and had to return a favor by uh, fulfilling a service obligation. So I think those types of programs um, definitely work. Uh, on the talent um, front, you know, I think a big part of this too is creating an environment where, where people want to work and will be engaged, right? And I think we have to fundamentally rethink um, our structures, right, and how, you know, moving from a kind of command control hierarchical model to more of a team-based structure, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, teams are really sort of the unit delivery, right, when it comes to delivering services to government. And so I think, um, you know, there had to be some fundamental changes there to be able to really, you know, attract and retain the, the right types of people. So. I mean, in terms of final thoughts, you know, hey, it was an honor to be on uh, on this uh, call here with you all, and uh, I'm I'm super excited about the um, the PMA. And you know, my big takeaway is I, I really like sort of uh, if there's one thing you want to think about, it's really a call to action, right? It's really a call to action to, to everyone who's in public service um, to take this opportunity um, and you know every day make government better for the people. So. Great. Thanks so much, uh, Chris Cairns, managing partner at Skylight, for, for joining us today. Uh, let's uh, just go down our, our, our line with the panel uh, for some final thoughts before we conclude our program. Uh, Dave Mater. I think um, my advice, having sort of worked through this process uh, in my previous government life, I think there's three key messages for, for the leadership at OMB and, and the agencies that are involved in the uh, 
the PMA and, and particularly the CAP goals and something that Pete said, everybody needs to demonstrate leadership at their level of the organization. This is not just sort of looking up to, oh, it's Margaret Weikert's job. It's everybody's job to, to execute against these plans. I think the other uh, key point is we need to understand the risk as we go forward. Um, and that doesn't mean that you don't move forward. It just means evaluate that risk and manage that risk. And I think the third and final is we want to see a balance of quick wins, but as importantly, we want to see the foundation laid for the future because this is a long-term modernization effort. Thanks, Dave. Dan Chenick? So I think uh, in addition, focusing on mission is a key element of the management contribution to government moving forward and identifying what those outcomes are so that you're not just talking about sort of increased throughput in a technology sense or um, that's important. Stewardship is important, stewardship of tax dollars. Relating that to mission achievement and then developing understandable metrics that the American people can can see how those programs benefit them and how these management tools, whether they're modernization of the workforce or bringing in emerging technologies like artificial intelligence and, and, and the entire suite, how are those technologies and how are these capabilities moving the government forward to deliver services more effectively is at the end of the day how this will be measured. Great. Thanks, Dan. Pete Cernas, you have 30 seconds. Great. The PMA is a tool. It's an opportunity. Uh, Dave, great three-legged stool there, leadership, risk, and quick wins. I encourage the feds, uh, grab a pilot opportunity in your agency to make a difference, work with industry, not to uh, cure every problem, but do something of merit that says, see the potential and the, and the art of the possible. Uh, it doesn't have to be heavy investment. Uh, but I also would say in closing, I challenge the ACT-IAC, AFCIA firm, wonderful organizations that they are, to look beyond the, the folks that you typically are attracted to because there are folks who aren't willing or might be more introverted who are actually doing the mission work and continue the outreach to showcase those profiles because to Dan's point, mission is what this PMA is saying matters. And mission is not just about IT. Great. Well, I'd like to thank our, our guests today uh, for joining us. That's all the time we've had. You're listening to Fed Talk on F Federal News Radio. Fed Talk is sponsored by Straw Bransford and Roth. Have a great weekend. <laughs>